0: So our two-year-old, almost three-year-old, Jack Lewis Larson has entered into that incredible slash infuriating part of human development called asking questions about everything. Any parents in the room remember that stage of parenting? It it usually comes up in a couple different ways. One, if we ask Jack to do something like uh, turn off Blippi from the TV or pick up your toys, it usually comes with first a question of, huh? Like, I can't hear you, huh? I understand other things, but not when you ask me to do something I want to do, huh? Or right now, it's like, uh, it's time for, you know, bath time, buddy. It's time to brush your teeth. It's time to go to bed. And it gets him, like, falling to his knees with why, like the existential question. Like, why, why? He wants to know why behind everything, which I have to admit is uh, not too far the apple falling from the tree with me because I don't like doing anything if I don't understand the why underneath of it, and it's really infuriating for me now. I guess it's what you get, right? A little bit of a payback (laughs) situation going on. But I love uh, kids asking questions, right? It's like been the funniest thing for the longest time, kids asking ridiculous, funny questions. I found a couple online that you'll be thinking about for the rest of the week. Uh, My son asked me if the letter W starts with a D and I can't stop thinking about it, and neither can you now. W, Why, huh? How does this work? It's crazy. And I'm a big music fan, so uh, this is a great question that I'll always be wrestling with forever now. Today, I had ACDC's Thunderstruck on in the car. My daughter asked me if it was Elmo singing. Sort of get what she's saying. And now you won't be able to not hear, like, Thunderstruck, little Elmo doing the thing, you know. I love it so much. I've got questions, too. As I get older, I have questions like, over the last couple weeks, um, what's Wordle? Like, how's the scoring all work? People just posting their scores, but I've not played the game. I don't feel like I'm smart enough to play the game. I'm like trying to decipher. Was that a good score? Does everybody just put their score no matter what on there? Like, I just don't get it. You know, we all have questions about life, and I'm sure somebody's gonna explain to me wordle and how I'm going to probably need to be obsessed with it after the service. Um, but uh, we all have questions, right? And it's something we love about our church. Allison just said, like, we're not afraid of questions. We welcome questions. I actually be, believe that most of the growth that I've experienced is because I've asked questions and I've done the work and I've had the conversations to try to understand more. We believe that questions are a holy, sacred pursuit. And one of the cool things about my job being a pastor is I have people come to me with questions all the time and some really good, big, beautiful questions Uh, questions like what does it actually mean to be a christian like you call like them jesus followers but we don't see jesus how do we follow jesus when you don't see the person right like is jesus kind of like our imaginary friend i've had that question before which i love so much like is being a jesus follower just like you have to do these religious list of things and that's how you become a jesus follower by doing this list of things or is it by looking at the wwjd bracelets shout out 90s kids um Do these things, don't do those things, the bracelets. Like, what is it all about, Basil, right? Like, we're trying to figure out what it's all about. And I love those questions so much because I believe that when we ask those kinds of questions and we tell ourselves the right story, we find ourselves in the right place. But I think it all begins with the story that we're telling ourselves about what Christianity is all about, what's the Bible all about, what's the story that God is writing through human history, what is that all about, we have to ask ourselves, what are we believing? What's the narrative? What's the story that we're believing? Because you know this is to be true, right? The stories that we believe, the narratives that we tell ourselves, they they direct our feet in a certain direction. They, they really help determine our lives, the stories that we believe. So for example, if you grew up and your parents had a certain line of work, and if you believe that that was just your lot in life to do what they did, you would never approach other kinds of work at all. You'd feel guilty for even saying, hey, I'd like to go to college or learn this trade because you just believe the story that this is just who you're supposed to be and who you have to be. Uh, For example, if you believe the story that you're not worthy of love and respect in a romantic relationship, then you will settle for less than what you really desire in your marital life And a spouse. You won't get love and respect because you don't believe that you're worthy of it. A story you believe matters. For example, if you believe that Nickelback is the greatest rock band of all history, then it's going to lead you in a dangerous direction. And any Nickelback fans, I hope that didn't offend you too much, just a little bit, so we can have a conversation about how bad they are later. I'm just kidding. If you don't know who Nickelback is, you're really blessed. You know, blessed are those kind of thing going on. But, uh, but you know, like these stories that we believe, man, they, they point our feet in a certain direction. And so as we're talking about uh, the, how we follow Jesus, I want to reframe us by talking about the story that we actually believe the scriptures is telling and what it's all about. So over the next uh, six weeks, this is like the longest series I've ever done. I'm so excited about it. You guys are going to hate me by week three, but it's going to be awesome. Um, we're going to dive into the, the most famous collection of Jesus' preaching and teaching in the New Testament called the Sermon on the Mount, because I believe Jesus gives us a manifesto for what it actually looks like to be his people in the world. But it tells us a specific story that the Bible is telling us. So there's lots of counterfeit stories. Uh, For example, I just wanna walk through a couple stories that I believe just miss the mark that many people in our society, probably people inside of our church, believe Christianity is telling. This is what the story is all about, right? Um, I call this one just the the cultural story because you have friends, you have neighbors, you have family members that aren't Christians, but they believe that this is what you believe. They think this is what Christianity is all about. It's just the common cultural story of what Christianity is all about. I will illustrate it this way. It starts with us on earth. You know, me, you on earth, and it's a beautiful place. It's a glorious place, it's a terrible place, it's a hard place, it's everything in between. But we find ourselves on this marble spinning in outer space on this planet Earth. And then we live life, and there's no, you know, not going through it. We go through life, and so we walk through life, and sometimes we're above the line. We make good decisions, healthy decisions. Sometimes we make selfish decisions, painful decisions that hurt other people. We go below the line. But we all have to walk through life, and we have our decisions that send us in one direction or the other direction, but a lot of people think that Christianity is all about this decision that you have to make, this pivot point at the end of your life. Like the entire part of your point of your existence, it depends on what you do at this inflection point at your life. At some point, what's the answer to the question, who is Jesus or who is God? Like they think that's what it's all about is how you answer that question. It doesn't really matter if you do good things in life or bad things through life. It's all just about you filling in the Scantron bubble with the correct answer about who Jesus is. And if you have the correct answer about who Jesus is, you go to the good place, heaven, you know, the eternal pleasure factory where everything's awesome all the time, or you go to the bad place, hell, the subterranean torture chamber for all of eternity. And a lot of people think that this is the story that the Bible is telling, is that we're on earth and it's great and it's terrible and we make bad decisions, good decisions, but do you pray a prayer? Do you say some magic words? Do you fill in the right Scantron bubble on the test about who Jesus is? And if so, you go to the good place, and if not, you go to the bad place. Now, this is a story that most of our American culture is believing about Christianity. Maybe this is the story that you're believing about Christianity, too. And I love you, and I'm so glad you're here, because... I believe this is a counterfeit story. This story is full of so many half-truths, so many 25% truths. but it's not the story that the scriptures is telling us from Genesis to maps at the end of our Bibles. It's better than that. There's another version of the story of Christianity that I was handed growing up in the 1990s, modern evangelicalism, where people said, this is the good news of the Bible. This is the good news of Jesus. This is the gospels, or the whole thrust, the meaning of it all. They just called it the gospel. It starts with you know, this heart here that God made me and loves me, and that's a great thing, and God loves me, but I get in my own way. I sin, I make a decision that's against God's law, against God's character, it hurts myself and other people, and it creates a chasm between me and God. And there's a chasm that I can't breach with my good behavior. There's nothing I can do. So God sent Jesus at the cross and he dies for my sins to bridge that chasm back together so that there can be relationship and now the heart can be restored and I have an internal home in heaven and I have a family, the church, and I have purpose in this life. And people call this the gospel. It's the four spiritual laws. You, know? you might have heard this before. This is like sort of the story that I was handed growing up. And again, this story just doesn't quite cut it. I mean, for one, it doesn't really make, it makes our life and our decisions and what we do between meeting God and the rest of our life until we breathe our last breath, it makes it not matter at all. It's just all about getting to the good place at the end by praying a prayer and asking Jesus to forgive us. So it's full of so many half-truths. It's full of so many quarter-truths. And I just want to like put on the table towards you that the truth is better than that, <laughs> It's fuller than that. It's more challenging and all-encompassing, but it makes more sense as well. The biggest problem with the cultural story of what people think Christianity is about and this four spiritual laws story is the Bible. <laughs> and it's the person of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, So I'm going to swing for the fences this morning. I'm going to swing for the fences the next six weeks or so because I want to reframe us, reprogram our minds to go back to the source and see what Jesus had to say, what his mission was all about, what his gospel was, what he is inviting you and I to participate in and partner with him to do during our lives. But to do so, we got to do a little bit of deconstruction, maybe, if you grew up in church. we got to, like, tear up the cheesy linoleum and find the wood floors underneath. (laughs) Will you guys go on that journey with me? (laughs) But I want to do this because this is going to be a challenge for us. We're going to go on a journey. It's going to be a lot this morning. um, But, man, it's going to be so worth it if you stick with me. Let me pray for us just to focus us up, to have new eyes for God to move us to where he wants to move us. Is that cool? All right, let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that... uh, all truth is your truth. (laughs) We're so grateful that, um, that you are a good God, a good King. And as we sang this morning, we know you by a thousand names and they're all so true. The name of Jesus means everything. But God, you have permission to rearrange our thoughts. You have permission to rearrange our hearts and our affections. God, you have permission to move us into the direction you want to move us in this morning. So open us up to your scriptures to your gospel, to your story this morning so that we can understand what it means to follow you because sometimes it feels like we're just chasing after a shadow. So God, help us learn what it means to be your people this morning. In your name we pray, amen. So most theologians and scholars believe the gospel of Mark is the first biography of Jesus' life that was written down. So I want to start there from the very beginning. And what we get is Mark, who got his information from Peter, who was a firsthand witness to all these things. Mark tells us in chapter 1, verse 14, this is where Jesus comes on to the scene. After John, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was put in prison, Jesus went into the Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Oh, this is gonna be interesting. what what, What did Jesus say the good news was? What did Jesus say the story was, the gospel was? Is this the part where Jesus tells us the prayer we need to pray so we don't go to the bad place and we go to the good place? Is this the part where Jesus tells us what we need to do to make sure that we're not dirty, nasty sinners and that God will accept us? Like, Is this the part where we get the story that we've all been told in different ways? Maybe, maybe not, because this is how Jesus defines this good news, the message of his ministry. He says this, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Other translations say is at hand, has come near. It is here now. Repent and believe the good news. Notice There's nothing about eternal destinations inside of Jesus' message. There's nothing about how nasty, dirty, disgusting sinners we are, and it's not all about what we need to do. The message is about what God is doing with this thing called the kingdom of God that Jesus is uniquely bringing into the here and now, this kingdom of God thing. It's come here. It is near. You can reach out and touch touch, touch it. It is among us. And he's inviting us to be a part of it. The kingdom of God, this was the center place, the centerpiece of Jesus' teaching and Jesus' ministry was this thing called the kingdom of God. Of God, and it wasn't just here in this verse, but all throughout the New Testament. When you look for it in the right place, you see that the kingdom of God was the centerpiece of the movement of our New Testaments, all over the place. In Luke chapter nine, we see Jesus sent out his first followers to share the message, and what was the message that they were to proclaim? To proclaim the kingdom of God. At the beginning of the book of Acts, after Jesus was um, crucified and resurrected, Jesus returns to spend forty days in his glorified resurrected body with his disciples, and what did he share? For those 40 days, he spoke about the kingdom of God. At the end of the book of Acts, after you get this glorious and beautiful story of the New Testament first century church spreading this message of Jesus all over the known world, Paul is writing from a prison cell in Rome, and this is the very last verse of the book of Acts. Paul, he proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The thrust of the story from the very beginning of our Bibles in the book of Genesis where God said he was going to be king over all the earth. He owns the earth and everything in it. It's come to its culmination in Jesus. That Jesus' mission, his message was about the kingdom of God. That is what is going on and that is what Jesus is all about. So I'll put it this way. This is so important to us. If we're trying to figure out what following Jesus actually looks like in 2022 in our modern world, we'll put it this way, that following Jesus, it begins and it ends with living in and under the kingdom of God. And this is what we need to reframe. This is not just about praying a prayer. It's not just about receiving our personal forgiveness and then we can do whatever the heck we wanna do with our lives. It's not about praying a prayer and just getting our fire insurance, if you will, and moving on with our lives. No, it's all about living in and under this kingdom kingdom of God thing that Jesus was bringing into the world that he wants us to partner with him to bring and to spread throughout this world. Jesus is king, and we follow him as our king and under his kingdom way. So my friends of America, democracy-loving friends, I want to invite you to shift teams and join a monarchy. Be a part of this kingdom of God thing that he's up to. And before you think I've lost my marbles just talking about politics and how we do governments and all these kind of things, I just want you to consider that like, uh, kingdoms um, and uh, monarchies, they actually have some benefits to them. Do you know that monarchies are actually less expensive than American-style democracies? Do you know that we spent $10 billion on advertising in the 2020 election? $10 billion, with a B. Did anybody have their mind changed from an advertisement? (laughs) Right? I don't think so, right? Do you know that uh, they actually, monarchies bring people together. They unify people more than modern democracies. Modern democracies find wedge issues that divide people and polarize people. Uh, and, And in a monarchy, they just trust the name and they trust the seat of the king or the queen And it seems to unify people more. Did you know that overall, uh, kings and queens are people of higher moral fiber, higher moral character than people that are elected during democratic processes? Now, I know we can all point out the bad apples, the mad kings, those people like that. But I I think they're, you know, probably have a higher moral fiber because they don't have to like angle and house of cards this thing to like get power and to maneuver politic wise. They just are in charge and they feel it is a blessing to do it. But what's, what's our main problem when we talk about monarchies, right? We're like, yeah, but how can we trust the person? They're shady people. There's no way that we can trust them. And hey, isn't it part of our American identity to hate monarchies? I mean, like, didn't we start this whole American experiment to get away from a king, to get away from a kingdom? I mean, we don't speak in kingdom language. We think, well, we can't trust where they're going to lead us in their, like, their rule and their reign. So what are we doing? I mean... This kingdom language, it's it's hard for us, right? This monarchy language is hard for us. And when I'm talking about this, I was kind of being tongue-in-cheek. I'm glad I live in an American democracy and everything like that. But I, I just want us to start thinking differently about what Jesus came to do and how he came to bring a kingdom that he was king of. Now, as we talk about kingdom, this is a high concept, so I need you guys to come with me. I'll do the best I can to bring us all along together. But when we talk about kingdom, we don't use that language very often today. But Dallas Willard, who wrote this incredible book um, back in the mid-'90s called The Divine Conspiracy, uh, he, he gave some great definitions to these words that I think will be helpful for us. So a kingdom is something that you have. You and I, we all have kingdoms, and a kingdom is the range of our effective will. It's the range of our effective will. A kingdom is uh, where our word goes, where we get what we want. For some of us, that's on our cell phones. For some of us, that is uh, at, in our homes, if we rule with an iron fist. This, sometimes this is us, if we're business owners, CEOs, where we get what we want. It's really, really that, that kind of place where it's our kingdom, if you will. I mean, if you guys have little ones or had little ones around your home, I, I see this with my little Jack All the time because his favorite words are me, mine, especially if it's time to like share with his brother. No, mine. And it's like this is him expressing his effective will and he doesn't want anybody to mess with it at all. And you know what? We don't really grow out of that. We all in our kingdom kind of mindset, we as we grow older, it's like it's my job and my career and how I want my relationships to go. we kind of push forward to always try to get what we want. We all have the kingdom of me. Some of them are larger, more powerful than others, but we all have that place, that range of our effective will. And your kingdom of me and my kingdom of me and all of our kingdom of me, they come together and they become what the scriptures will call the kingdom of earth. All of our little kingdoms come over the kingdom of earth. And so to ask the Dr. Phil question for you, um, how is our kingdom of earth going? Like how's it working for us, right? Like what fruit, what products are coming from all of our kingdom of means running the show collectively as the kingdom of earth? There's racism, there's greed, there's hatred, there's uh, bitterness and grudges. There's running the rat race and trying to build up our own profile. There's using people, there's consumerism, there's hatred. Some of the fruit of all of our collective kingdom of earth Kind of thing going on. But we all have a kingdom and it's not working for us because it's all about us. That's our kingdom over here, the kingdom of me, the kingdom of earth. Jesus comes onto the scene and he says, I'm pronouncing the kingdom of God is here. Now, the kingdom of God is the same kind of idea. It's where it's the range of his effective will, where God gets what he wants, where his word goes. It's the rule and reign of God being manifested. On planet Earth, it's uh, it's the values and the culture of heaven on Earth, <laughs> and you gotta ask yourselves the questions like, what's the what's the fruit, what's the product that when God gets what He wants, what is it? It's it's freedom, <laughs> it's flourishing, it's kindness, it's forgiveness, it's servanthood to one another, it's it's honoring the image of God on other people. <laughs> it's not me-centered. It's God-centered, and it leads to flourishing for all human beings, and that is what Jesus is all about. That is what the kingdom of God is doing. It's the rule and the reign of God, the culture, the values of heaven, the up there kind of stuff breaking into down here. Well, We'll put it this way, and this is such an important idea, that this is what Jesus came to do in his kingdom of God coming to earth. Jesus came to make the up there come down here the stuff of heaven, the stuff where God gets his way when God's word um, goes, man, that up there stuff, man, Jesus is all about making it come down here. You know how I know this? Because Jesus prayed this and he taught us to pray this. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray, and he breaks into this prayer they call the Lord's Prayer. You've probably heard or at least recited many times in your life. Um, he says this, that our Father in heaven, he's praying this, hallowed or holy is your name. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He asks us to pray this way. Now, just to get a little grammatical here for a moment, what we have in this beginning of this prayer is called a Greek parallelism. And a parallelism is where you have two phrases next to each other divided by a comma, but actually that comma should be an equal sign because it's defining the phrase by the phrase prior to it. So what you see here is you see a parallelism where it says, your kingdom come, comma, but it should be equals. Your kingdom come is your will being done. That's what it is. The kingdom of God is when God's will is being done. And where is it happening? Is it just in heaven up there? No. Jesus asks us to pray and say it happens on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus, from the beginning, has always been compelled and driven by this mission to bring the stuff of up there, down here, the stuff of heaven on earth as it already is in heaven. And we struggle with this idea so much because I don't know about you, but growing up in church, I heard the kingdom of God. I saw it in the scriptures or I sang it in songs or the kingdom of heaven. And I equated the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven with going to heaven when I die. It was the place where I would be like, I would evacuate the pain of earth and it would like beam me up, Jesus. And I would go to heaven and I'd get my mansion and the golden streets and the golden everything, right? It'd be like Trump Tower up there kind of thing going on. Um, It's golden everything, Oh, I just lost half the room when I said that. I can't believe I said that. But anyway, gold, that's all you need to remember. I thought that's what the kingdom of God was all about. But man, it's so much more than that. It's about the stuff of heaven coming down here. It's about the space of God and the rule and reign and culture of God invading and breaking into our world. That is what Jesus is about, and that's what he's always been about is bringing the up there, down here. Oh my gosh, you guys. Can you imagine a community of Jesus followers who were compelled and obsessed with joining God, partnering with God to bring the up there, down here? To not be satisfied with just praying a prayer one time, getting our fire insurance, just all being about my personal forgiveness, but being like, no, I am on mission with this King Jesus and we are flooding Kokomo, we're flooding Greentown, Peru, all these places with the stuff of up there as it comes down here. Oh my goodness, it's so compelling for me because Jesus is not about evacuation from this place to go up there to the good place. No, Jesus is about restoration, and he taught us to pray it in this prayer. So how do we begin What's the entry exam to like understand this kingdom of God reality, to be a part of what God's doing, to follow him in his kingdom ways? How do we like start? Where does the action come from us? Uh, I think it's a great question. I think it's all over the place in that first verse we looked at, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus, remember, he says this. This is his thesis statement for his ministry. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. It's here. It's all around us. And he says, repent and believe the good news. Us following Jesus, doing this shadow step to be his people in the world and joining his kingdom, it's got to begin with repenting and believing. So I want to talk about the word believe. Because in our modern way of thinking about things, the word believe in our Western culture, believe means to acknowledge something. It's like to fill in the bubble on the Scantron, right? It's to, yeah, I accept that. Yeah, that's true. And so we acknowledge it with our minds. And many of us, when we think about believing Jesus and believing in Jesus, it's like, yes, I believe he was a person. And yes, I believe he died on a cross. And yes, I'm okay. He died for my sins. I'll even go there. And we think that's what belief is. The problem is that the word that's used in our New Testament is a wider, more beautiful, more demanding idea than just mentally assenting to an idea. The word used for belief and faith in our New Testament is the Greek word pistis. And pistis means belief, yes, so it means there is a mental side of it and believing it, but it means more than that. It means fidelity or faith to, it means commitment, it means pledged loyalty. So when Jesus says, repent and believe the good news of the kingdom, that I am king and I'm doing a new thing in this world, what he's saying there is not just to like accept it or acknowledge it. He says, show allegiance to me and my kingdom. Make me your king, your lord, your boss, your leader, your rabbi. Make me that person in your life. And that is how you believe in me, is that you show allegiance and fidelity and commitment to me. So let me ask you a pesky, annoying Maybe a painful question, at least it's been painful for me this last week as I've wrestled with it. Let me ask you this question Are you simply acknowledging Jesus? Like you acknowledge, you accept the reality of Jesus? Are you simply just filling in the bubble on the Scantron? Or do you have allegiance to King Jesus? Do you believe that he is doing something new and that he is king of the universe and he desires to be king of your life, therefore? and you have allegiance to him, like you believe in him that way? Because it's really easy to like, just go towards Jesus when you know, life hits rock bottom, right? Or when we need some advice, and so then we open up the God door and be like, hey, can you give me some advice here? Or it's easy to treat Jesus like a representative in our democracy, right? Where you can like, shoot him a message when you don't like something that's going on, or you can sign some petition when you don't like something that's going on. It's easy to do that. But to see that he's king means that you've got to align with him, that you are putting allegiance towards him and him alone. Man, this is a challenging question for me. And maybe it is for you too. But joining this kingdom of God thing he's doing, it begins with believing in him, putting your trust in him and your allegiance towards him, not just acknowledging or accepting him, which is easy, and which 75% of Americans have already done. <laughs> But it doesn't seem to make that big of a difference and move the needle. So it begins with believe. Sorry, I don't know what's going on with the lights. Uh, it begins with believing in Jesus, having allegiance towards him. But also, Jesus tells us this it was to repent and believe. Repent and believe the good news. Now we've talked about repent before because this is a word that gets a bad rap, right? We see the word repent, and my mind goes to like a shame-filled kind of culture where it's like you need to turn or burn. You need to repent from your sins. This is kind of the language that was um, handed to me. Maybe not to you, but at least to me, repent is like a dirty word. It's like, dang, settle down. But the reality is, repent is a beautiful invitation. Repentance opens up a whole world of possibilities that. So often, I don't believe it's possible in my flesh, in my humanity, where like we can change. Repenting literally just means to turn and walk into a different direction. It's to go in a different way that we, than we were previously walking and to find ourselves in a new destination. So Jesus says, I want you to have allegiance to me, but I also want you to turn and walk in a different way that's gonna bring you to my kingdom and have you partner with me in this kingdom movement of bringing joy and justice and love and grace and hope and healing into our neighborhoods and into our workplaces, into our worlds. So repentance is just choosing to believe that we can walk in a different direction and change. And you know what? The early Jesus followers did this. It was so crazy, you know, the first Christians, uh, they weren't called Christians. That Christian was like a word that was used just a couple times in our New Testament. It was kind of a derogatory phrase. But they were called something else. They were called the way, members of the way. You see this all over the book of Acts. We see the people that belong to the way, followers of the way. They were followers of the way. And they were called this because they walked in a different direction. They lived in a different way. They repented and didn't just walk the way that the culture walked, but they followed King Jesus in his way, and it led to lots of crazy stuff. It led to goodness. It led to like hope. It led to like uh, equality and equity among different groups of people that there was, wasn't equality and equity at all beforehand. Actually, there's this one letter that's preserved for us. is recorded in the second century, written from a Roman official to this guy named Diognetus. And this is what he says about the followers of the way, these early Jesus followers. I think this is so crazy, you guys, people that repented and walked in the way of the kingdom. And he says this that these Christians. It is true that they are in the flesh, but they don't live according to the flesh. <laughs> These Christians, like, they're, they're humans, but they don't live by their animal appetites. They don't just do what feels good and take what's theirs that they think is theirs when they want it. And they don't just live by that. They live by a different code. Um, They busy themselves on Earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. Like they're involved politically in the civil society, they do things and to build up their communities. But like their identity is not wrapped up in who they voted for in the last election. Their identity is not wrapped up just in their socioeconomics and people that look like them. No, their their citizenship is in the kingdom. It's bigger than what we might think. Dividing lines look like down on Earth. He says, they obey the established laws, but in their own lives, they go far beyond what the law requires. They don't just do the bare minimum. They go to bless people and to take care of people, which is not just what the law requires. And he says this at the end, they love all men, and by all men, they're persecuted. They are reviled, and yet they bless. So they're persecuted, people hate them, they don't have it easy at all. And you know what? They still love everybody. They respect everybody. They serve everybody. And they did this because they were walking in the way of King Jesus and they're walking in the kingdom of God way, not just the way that culture was, because they repented and they moved the direction of their feet. How beautiful is this, you guys? Can you imagine, can you imagine just for a moment, a group of Jesus followers in 2022 (laughs) that were obsessed and compelled to bring the up there stuff down here? (laughs) To not just pray, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, but be compelled to partner with God to make it happen. To where everywhere we go, we leave trails of goodness and life and hope and healing and forgiveness and grace. Man, that's the kind of stuff I want to give my life for. That's the kind of community and church that I want to be a part of. It's so much bigger than just praying a prayer getting some fire insurance and getting some personal forgiveness. It's the kingdom of God. And we begin by seeing this kingdom and putting our allegiance towards this king, Jesus. So let me ask you that question again. Are you simply acknowledging Jesus, checking the box, agreeing with Jesus? Or do you have a heart posture where you're saying, he's my king and I'm going to follow him in his way I have allegiance towards him, and I'm going to walk in his direction. Over the next five Sundays, man, we're going to really look at what it means to walk in this kingdom, to live in this kingdom, and to take a shadow step and to see where Jesus was going and say that we want to follow that, we want to shadow him into this world. Will you guys go on that journey with me? I want to challenge you, just over the next five weeks, Man, don't miss a Sunday. Don't miss time where we can gather together and look at these teachings of Jesus and see what it actually means to not just have an eternal destination figured out at the end of our lives, but to thrive and flourish as his kingdom people through the rest of the days of our life. Don't miss it. Make a commitment to be here, to go on this journey with us so that we can follow Jesus as our king, so that we can be people that believe in him, And by belief, I mean have allegiance towards him. Have people that repent and don't just walk in our direction of culture, but walk in the way of the kingdom because God wants to partner with you. God wants to partner with me. God wants to lock arms with us and lead us to bring the stuff that's up there down here. It's what he's always been about. And the time has come, you guys. The kingdom of God is near and is at hand. And he's inviting us to join him. You know, one of the ways that in the first century, um, and throughout church history actually, people have uh, declared their allegiance to Jesus as their king, was by going into the waters of baptism. And this is like this beautiful sacrament that Christians have been doing for centuries where uh, it doesn't matter what your background, what your past looks like, what your... uh, upbringing was, but people going into the waters of baptism, identifying with King Jesus, saying that I trust this Jesus, and I am putting him in the Lord's seat, the king's seat of my life, and so they go under the waters to say that they're dying to their old way, where they just followed the me way, the kingdom of me, where it was all about what I want, when I want it. They would go under the waters to represent death to that, they'd come up out of the waters to, be, to represent that Jesus is the king, this resurrected king, and they're part of his kingdom now. And next Sunday, you guys, we're gonna be celebrating baptism. We've got four people already that are going into the waters.